Welcome to our Moxie podcast series on professional sports. I'm your host, Roger Schmitz. Today we are talking NHL hockey. We have Mike Potenza on the line. Mike is the director of performance for the San Jose Sharks. We're going to talk about rehab after injury and how to know when a player is ready to return to 100% load. We'll discuss the various technologies used at the NHL level to assess their athletes, and we'll cover what's unique about training athletes for the sport of hockey. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So just to start us off a little bit, could you just describe what you do with the Sharks? Yeah, absolutely. So um, in my director's role, this is my just finished uh, uh, my 14th year. Um, I guess in the NHL right now, we're waiting to finish, right? So um, it's been 14 seasons I've been with the team. Um, and then I oversee, obviously, all the training and rehabilitation for our um, NHL club. I also have a staff member who is my full-time assistant. So he aids um, in, in all the uh, work we do with the players during the year, um, aids me with that. And then um, I have a minor league strength coach that's right in town. Our minor league team is right in San Jose, which is great. So uh, he is my head strength coach down there for the minor league. So that's who I oversee as in terms of staff. And we usually have an intern in the summertime and during the year that helps us. Uh, but we're also overseeing 70 players total in the prospect from prospects to NHL club and also the American League club. So it's a it's a bigger number than you think. And um, we also have a key role in the uh, analysis of the data, the performance data that happens at the combine to help scouting and management forecast who would be a good pick for our team and, and, and what physical qualities they have and what they can bring to the table. So you've been doing this for well, 14 seasons. So how has how has your role like evolved over time? Just in the last in the last 14 seasons. Yeah, it's um, you know I think I guess you know I, I was lucky enough to, and, and blessed enough to to learn from a lot of great strength coaches who are who are now 25, 30, 35 years uh, in the business and and um, they held positions in the NHL at. Um, a lot of times or with a lot of the, the coaches. So, so to, to see it evolve, even from that, like our role as performance specialists has grown so much. Staff members have grown. The number of staff members have grown so much. Um, and it has come in to a, accordance with the way the league has changed. The league has changed quite a bit from my first year to now. Um, and that's, that's gone with some of the rules changes in the collective bargaining agreement that, that um, was put in place in, I would say 2012, there was a work stoppage. So there was some big CBA changes with the rules that promoted more scoring. And then that basically led to less clutching and grabbing. Um, and then you need to be able to skate. You need to be fast. You know, you need to be able to push the defenseman into, into their zone and, and, and try to get some, you know, try to get some more scoring opportunities. And uh, speed is the most coveted quality probably in the league right now, or is in the league in, in many leagues. So we've seen that change. Um, we've seen performance resources grow because I think um, a lot of these athletes are now utilizing these resources away from their teams, their colleges, their their schools, their universities. You have some really strong performance programs even now in high school. So if you're seeing it in high school and you're you know expecting to see it in college, you have to really raise the bar in you know the minor leagues and at the pro level to have all these resources readily available for the athletes and you know what uh, roger it's been it's turned into the um, you know quality resources not just more resources have been has turned into uh, less man games lost less injury right more production out of the players by far 
Ah, okay. So maybe uh, just to kind of get over to Moxie a little bit, how did you get interested in using muscle oxygen monitoring kind yeah. of in that, yeah. in that, uh, with what you're describing there with yeah. the, 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 especially with the increase in speed? Yeah, totally. I was introduced to it by, um, introduced to it by two people. Um, Carl Val, a good friend of mine out of the Boston area and, um, Steve Delestro, my assistant, um, went to a conference and heard Pat Estes and Aaron Davis speak on, on the device and, and, uh, they're doing an amazing job um, at Train Adapt Evolve uh, there in Texas. So um, and we've talked to them frequently. I think the thing that turned me on to it was from the return to play concept because we're so heavily involved in the process when sometime with these long-term injuries we're seeing, um, we're managing those and obviously programming through that whole life cycle of the injury and, and kind of where the – we are very much one of the last voices that – to the coaches and management to say that, okay, this player is ready to go in a hard, aggressive practice, you know? So we have to make that determination and, and, you know, our protocols from performance to, to making sure that they, their, their, uh, their physical therapy, their, their range of motion scores, all the different factors that we look at that we hit our benchmarks and to say, okay, now he's back to his baselines from the beginning of the year. They're all in place, but Moxie had this uh, another level and caught my eye in a, in a big way, um, you know, I obviously did not look at it just like at another technology piece that we can implement, but, but it gives us a real direct look, you know, almost like, almost like magnifying that microscope even more, a direct look at bilateral or unilateral, um, reoxygenation cap capabilities at the cellular level. So now we know if the injured leg is caught up to the uninjured leg or are they reoxygenating at different rates? I think we talked about that before. I think that's one of the biggest values that we're seeing. So, so when you're, when, um, when you're looking at these, are, are, are you looking at this like, like, uh, like when an athlete is recovering from a workout or are you, lo- are you looking at it during a strength training workout? What, what yeah. kind of applications are you using it in? Um, we've looked at it in the warm up, um, and we also look at it during the exercises that we prescribe for that, um, injured athletes program, his, his reconditioning program. Um, you know, we've also, when we've gotten more confident with it, uh, we have actually utilized it with players um, kind of as a um, just as an analysis tool for our healthy players who aren't in the lineup that day but are doing extra conditioning on the ice. Um, so we're just trying to see, OK, are they are they are they reoxygenating symmetrically or, or asymmetrically? That's a big that's uh, a big question for us. And, you know, what? in Roger, full disclosure, we're we're learning we're still at the beginning of of what we're learning right we're still uh you know in in first grade second grade with this uh with this whole process so but it's a real exciting tool for us and we're just finding a lot of ways to use it you know um we have two units i believe right now and you know i'm I'm hoping we can we can add some more okay so how does it how does it uh affect what you're doing with the athletes i mean what are you what are you changing as a result of seeing the data yeah great question um you know, if we see, let's take, you know, a lower um, ACL, MCL uh, injured athlete, the kind of cases that we've had in the last couple of years, and those are the specific uh, players that we've used it with. You know, off ice, we're looking at, you know, maybe single leg squat or, or rear foot elevated squat, and we're looking at the recovery period of that that um, quad um, after that exercise. So if we see that that leg is taking more time, the, to reoxygenate, then, you know, it, we were, we're, our line of thinking is that, okay, there's some, some sort of neuromuscular component that it's, it's not happening yet for that, that player, right? And so we have to do more and spend some more time on that leg. And eventually off ice, we see a symmetry of reoxygenation. When we get on the ice, 
it's interesting because we don't we 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 then it's a new motor motor task right so we saw that delay again in that injured leg from full reoxygenation to okay now it's it's delayed from the injured leg to the healthy leg so um with that we give them more recovery time right and and that concept we just it just reaffirms to us they need more time with this skill of skating um we've checked all the boxes we're reoxygenating symmetrically with all of our exercises in the gym. And when we're delayed, we add a little bit more, maybe do a little bit more with that injured leg. Um, and then now we're, now we're on the ice, we just give them more time. It's not like we can, you know, single leg skate around the ice for that injured leg. So we just want to give them more recovery time to make sure it comes up. So how, how, is, how important is it to be able to measure on the ice versus just, just in the lab? Uh, I think it's critical. I think, I, I mean, for us, you, you, it's very difficult to, uh, to simulate skating off the ice. You know, you have a slide board and you can do some things, but there's, it, it's very unique when you put those skates on and you're balancing on, you know, that, you know, eighth of an inch of steel, you know? So, so it's very important from us from a real life standpoint and not just, not just off ice to on ice, Roger, but, but the speeds at which we need to go, um, and the way we, the way our metabolism has to work on the ice in terms of going super fast and going for length of time and going for, um, you know, anaerobic type interval type work, you know, we really need to see that, that reoxygenation pattern, obviously that Moxie can show us. So, so what, what, uh, it, in what, since you started using this, I mean, you're, you're an experienced S and C guy. Um, mm-hmm. so what surprised you, you know, what, what was something maybe you didn't expect to see, yeah. um, uh, after you started using it? I, you know, I w- I'm a big fan of, you know, looking at beats of recovery, you know, per heart rate. We're a big heart rate monitoring team as our load metric, our internal load metric. And I always have been since my time in college. Um, and it, it going off of that, you would assume that, OK, I'm giving him, you know, I'm getting him to getting his heart rate up to close to max, maybe 90 percent. And then I want to get him down to, you know, a 40 or 50 percent of max range and you know, that's assuming that everything is reoxygenated, right? So when we slap on the moxie, I was like that, that kind of aha moment or more of an oh shit moment. It was like, wait a minute, there's, there's something different here. Like he, he's not balanced. Like it's not symmetrical. So it's not, I, I mean, I don't even go off of time anymore. I don't go off of like that heart rate. I kind of look at it just to see, okay, when, when, where is, is that athlete's heart rate? And when is it equally, um, oxygen, when is oxygen saturation equal? um, for, for this given drill or for, for this given repetition of what we're trying to do. That was a big aha moment for me. I was like, Oh man, like I've been looking at heart rate, but I know I'm not getting everything back on that injured side. The second thing was, um, we did, it was, it was odd because we, we, we trained the athlete off the ice. We had a period of time where we had 30 minutes to kill before we, we, we got, uh, excuse me, from, we trained him off the ice. We had 30 minutes to kill before we got on the ice with his session, his rehab session. Um, so, you know, he's putting his equipment on, he's getting his sticks up, sticks ready and equipment ready and stuff like that. We get on the ice and then we see this kind of asymmetrical reoxygenation uh, amongst the musculature. So I'm like, geez, you know what? I wonder, wonder why that is when, and then we would go into the session. I thought maybe what if we do a longer warm up period when we get on the ice? What if we do something really simple take time with it rather than just jumping into the drills, right? Or just then just having one warm-up drill, we added multiple. It made the session longer, but the working sets and the working exercises on the ice got more productive, meaning the saturation level was equal. It was, it was, it was definitely symmetrical. Does that make sense? 
Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's that's. Uh, I, I that's, never that's knew. I never. Cool. I never thought of the value of of that. You know, until you know. But it makes complete sense to me. So. So what other? You mentioned heart rate. What other technologies do you guys use uh, with your athletes? We're, we've we've dove into um, uh, force plate analysis with force decks here in the last year. Uh, you know, we're, we're getting a lot of great information on that. We're, we're learning our, um, ourselves, you know, what matters, you know, for our types of players and what kind of profiles we're seeing. So we that can help us direct train um, can help us direct uh, our programming. And, um, you know, we're looking at now we, we got a, a 1080 uh, sprint. So we're going to look at that some, some sort of like a. Uh, you know, force velocity profiles in, in running, you know, and we're going to take it on the ice as well. So I, I know a lot of guys in hockey are using it on the ice. It can be an effective tool. So but I think that will round out our analysis pretty well. I, I think it sounds like, and I feel like we're testing more, but um, really the stuff that we test have, it has an impact on our programming, you know, and it has an impact on programming long-term for not only the injured athlete, but also the rookie athlete, the prospect that we get, and they have to kind of follow those steps to to get and stay in the NHL. So, so uh, bringing this back to what you talked about earlier with uh, with respect to the kind of the change to the the athletes uh, having to be more focused on speed, um, is is that is that also changing? I mean, do, do you train differently because of that? You must. Um, and and kind of what what do you do different now that now that things yeah. are focused more yeah. on speed? Great question. Um, you know, one thing to go back to what I mentioned, like it's important to know a force velocity profile more so than ever. you know, it's important to know who are your high force guys and low velocity guys, who are your low force guys and high velocity guys and how, how, you know, if you just keep chasing strength and not velocity, you're not going to get, you know, any faster or more powerful, if you will. So, so there's a, there's an important balance there that you have to find and, and finding that for us is challenging because it's in season. And we have, you know, 82 games and we have four games in six days or, you know, four games or five games in eight days. You know, it could be kind of crazy. So um, it's really important to kind of find out what everybody's needs are and address those needs. And then uh, you can go back and, and look at, OK, what are the commonalities of injury amongst hockey players? And then blanket program that begin with an individualized approach and then blanket that. Well, um, even from a from an injured athlete standpoint, it's critical that you're you're looking at. Um, those force velocity profiles and how they get back to doing those things really good, but also, you know, what's the, what's happening at the cellular level of, of, of recovery, you know, like with this tool. Yeah. So what are the, what do you see for like, uh, you, you mentioned like some, some of your, your, your players have different, uh, force velocity curves or different, uh, different kind of balance of that. How do you, uh, how do you make the training more calibrated when you when you yeah. observe that? How do you, yeah. how do you adjust on a one you know on an individual basis? Yeah, good question. Um, right now we have different buckets of programming that everybody fits in, right? So so you have your 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 power day, your speed day, um, that looks at more velocity work with gym aware and things like that, and then we have a, a basic strength day um, that can be done if we need to train after, after a, a lift or excuse me, after a game. Right. Um, so we're keeping that force side with the strength lift present for everybody. And if there's guys who kind of lean themselves to the more speed end, then we try to get them another sort of workout, um, in that, in that week. So they may not do the strength cause they're okay there, but they may have to do the speed day again, you know, so two speed days and one strength day. It may be, you know, 
a strength day every two weeks and then two power in one week, two speed in another week, and then hit that strength again. So we're trying to look at those buckets of needs and control what we can control. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, overboard on the, it's by far not overboard on the individualization. It's, it's, it's individualized on the theme of what each player needs. Right. And we, and you know, that, that's, that's, it's easy enough for us to control. I think if you go into super individualized programming, like per the guy, it's challenging. It's challenging for a staff of more than two, to be honest with you. Um, so, but with just two of us, we want to try to control what we can control, but also be effective. Sure. So what, um, could you comment a little bit about just maybe what's, what's unique with S and C training for the sport of hockey versus other sports, you know, cause I mean, you know, strength and, and, yeah. uh, yeah. uh, power sure. are, are relevant in a lot of sports. Mm-hmm. What's, what's unique about hockey? Um, you know, I think, uh, one, one, the locomotive pattern of skating is, is super unique. So, so ground contact time is really, isn't, isn't, isn't a part of the force velocity curve that we have to worry about as much as a, a dry, dry land sprinter. Um, the application of force into the ice allows you to propel yourself even faster, right. And to gain speed. And obviously there's the, there's a, there's a um, coefficient of friction on the ice that you're gliding. So it's not like you have to react into the ground and then kind of propel yourself back off. So there's only a, a short amount of time that you're doing that, you know, um, stride, um, knee height or, 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 um, leg drive height into the ground isn't necessarily, it shouldn't be the same on the ice. It's not like you're picking your, you're not doing a high knee type motion on the ice when you're, when you're sprinting. So that's very, that's very different. Elasticity. We do program it, um, within our plyometric program. It's something I want to do from an athletic standpoint. I don't want our guys to lose that because I, I do think that has some value early on when you get going, building up in that three meter, four meter acceleration phase for, um, beginning, beginning to, to skate, you know, or if you have to be explosive into a, into a sprint, obviously on the ice or, or some sort of change of direction. So, so th- that's where it gets a little bit complicated. You know, it's, it's difficult to, that you don't have a move, move a mobile force plate on the ice and try to measure there. There's some things now that are, you know, force plate type, um, insoles into your skates, which is, you know, that's in its infancy, but it's pretty cool technology that, that we're trying to look at to see what ground contact times and things like that are for, for our skaters. So that's what I, that's, um, Roger, that's what I would say. The biggest, the, the biggest differences and, and, and healthy hip mechanics for a skater, as opposed to a sprinter is, is different as well. We, we have more of that frontal plane, obviously stride, um, that we have to be cognizant of and what the groin is doing in support, um, of that, re- that recovery of that leg and things like that. So, um, that, that's, that's obviously important to us. So earlier you mentioned that the, uh, the muscle oxygen monitoring technology, I think you, you said we're like in first or second grade, you know, and, and it's, it's a new technology. It hasn't mm-hmm. been around, uh, nearly as long as many of these others. Uh, where do you see it going? I mean, where, what, what is third grade and, and, uh, sixth grade or, or even well, further? What is that? What, what do you, what do you see it in the future? As it, you know, cause well, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of at the front end of this. Where, where do you see it? You know, you're, you're, well, you're a thought leader here. Where, where do you see it yeah. going? I, I, you know, the first or second grade comment was like, I think I, I want to be clear, like that's, that's just where I feel like I'm at with it. There, this, you know, a lot of the education that you guys have put out during this shelter in time and, and, and having the ability to connect with Pat and, and uh, Aaron Davis has been tremendous for, for me and, and, and Steve too, I would say my assistant in, in terms of our learning. 
Um, so that's what I mean by first and second grade, but I think it's definitely an advanced technology that's, you know, beyond PhD level that we're trying to catch up to. But, um, you know, I think where it's going, I think, uh, you know, I'd be bold enough to say that it should be looked at from a team monitoring standpoint, from a team monitoring standpoint, if you can get all your guys on this thing, it would be, it would be great. Even just a spot check, you know, where guys are at, cause you may have really healthy guys and let's just say, why wouldn't you check um, on a player who's healthy, but you're catapulting them every day on the ice? And then from the load standpoint and from the accelerometry that you're looking at, you see that, geez, you know what? One side is more powerful than the other. You know, he's really powerful off this side or has good range. And all of a sudden he's short on the other side. Right. So um, that's. That's why I would say, okay, well, let's look at the moxie. Do we really, can we see something that's going on from a cellular level that, that would uh, indicate that, okay, he's got, he's got something going on. What we want to, we want to maximize to give him two good, you know, um, sources of power, right? Both legs symmetrically. Okay. That's, uh, we'd, we'd love to see it go there as well. So, um, yeah, yeah. that, um, it, it's, it's really fascinating what you, what you guys are doing with this. You're really pushing it forward. Um, uh, uh, it's it's great to have you as a thought leader and uh, and really uh, really dri- driving this forward in a way that that uh, helps the players. So uh, we really appreciate that. Uh, appreciate you taking the time to yeah. share your thoughts with us today. Uh, awesome. It's uh, really helpful. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, and thanks for putting out some great education to help uh, first graders like me trying to learn this stuff. So. <laughs> All right, you bet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.